Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling is reminding businesses of the Curb to Compost program, which allows businesses, restaurants to have food waste collection. And this is an important next step in your business's or restaurant's recycling program. This is the Jackson Hole Connection, and you are tuned in to episode number 184, where I am sharing super stories from super people who are connected to Jackson Hole, and my goal is to connect you to the rest of the world. I do have a quote to share with you before I begin this episode, and drum roll, here it is. The truth is still the truth, even if no one believes it. A lie is still a lie, even if everyone believes it. I'm not sure where the quote came from other than me Googling it. So if you know who I should credit, please let me know and I'd be happy to give proper credit. And so you are aware each of these episodes is possible through support from our sponsors. Today's sponsors, Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling. They want you to be a better recycler. Why? It reduces what goes into the waste stream. It is good for our environment. Things, materials can be reused. And you can find the Recycle Coach app at the Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling website. Download it today, free for everyone. And additional support for this episode comes from the Jackson Hole Marketplace. We are making curated custom gift baskets just for you, or we have some pre-designed packages. Take a look at jacksonholegiftbaskets.com and peruse some amazing ideas. Hey everybody, you have tuned in to the Jackson Hole Connection. This is the place and space I share stories with you. Before we begin, I am so happy you have tuned in today. Just wanted to let you know, it is easy to share this podcast with friends and family. You can do it from the website, your mobile device, how you're most likely listening to this podcast. Uh, send some feedback. We love hearing from our guests of what you think about this podcast and some suggestions of guests who should be on this podcast. My guest today is Mikey Franco. Mikey is the founder and CEO of Franco Snow Shapes, but he is a snowboarder in the heart and a snowboarder forever. Mikey is my first guest out of 180 plus guests who moved here to Jackson Hole after reading a magazine article. I guess there's always a first for something. Mikey shares with us his journey of how a life-changing event helped him find his next path in life and one which has not been without struggles. Mikey is on that path today, and that path is the creation of Franco Snow Shapes. But with the support of a tight-knit community and a not-so-secret ingredient, Mikey continues to operate a successful business. Mikey isn't just making snowboards, he is shaping boards to perform like a Ferrari, to create the perfect enjoyment for every user of his boards of a sport he is passionate about. Hey, Mikey, thank you for joining me here at the Jackson Hole Connection. It's wonderful to have some time to sit down and, and learn more about you and, and your business. Well, thanks for having me. You bet. Now, 
I, I like starting off the episodes for you to share with everybody who's listening what your connection is to Jackson. Were you born here or where did you grow up and where were you raised and how did you land here in the land that we love so much? Sure. Well, I read about Jackson Hole in a snowboarding magazine called International Snowboarder Magazine in the mid-80s. And the article was called Surfing the Teton Reef. And I was a snowboarder at the time, and uh, I thought, oh, I'm going to go there someday. My freshman year of college at Penn State, I decided to come here with a buddy for uh, spring break and met the guy who runs the snowboard school at that time, Robert Garrett. And uh, he found out I was teaching snowboarding, and he offered me a job if I came back. And so I went home, finished up that semester, said, Mom and Dad, I'm moving to Wyoming. And uh, 32 years later, I'm still here. 32 years later. Super. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it was about snowboarding from the get-go. I knew nothing about Jackson Hole other than the mountains and snow. And during that time, so you moved out here to teach snowboarding, but what were you doing during the non-snowboarding time? Everything. Uh, let's see. I worked at Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory, Cirque Shirts, um, the Gun Barrel Steakhouse, Steak River Grill. You, you know, everything that you do in Jackson Hole to survive, I did it. And, you know, usually, you know, winter was just teaching snowboarding, maybe an afternoon uh, working at the t-shirt shop. And then summer was working, you know, two jobs, one in a restaurant, one somewhere else. So, you know, it really wasn't any different in the 90s. I mean, still couldn't afford to be here, even though things were cheaper. Um, they didn't pay as well. So, so it wasn't that different. And, uh yeah, so you just worked and made it made it happen and to get by and waited for winter. And you said that you were a snowboarder. Mm -hmm. Why don't you share with some people what does that mean that you are a snowboarder? Because people who are listening are from all over the country and, and all over sure. the world. So it'd sure. be good for them to understand what that means in the world of being here in the Tetons of being a snowboarder. Sure. Um, you know, I grew up a skateboarder and saw my first snowboard in 1984 or so and bought this wooden thing that allowed me to skateboard in the winter. And it, it was, I, I don't know, I, I never really skied. And so as far as calling myself a snowboarder, I feel like it's definitely a cultural thing that, you know, spawned itself from my skateboarding and most of snowboarding for the last 30 years was really Kind of spawned from skateboarding and it, it just was a family and it, especially back then in the mid to late 80s and early 90s when we were still outcasts right there is still in the when in fact when i learned to snowboard i think maybe five percent of the resorts in america allowed it so there was uh, you know i wouldn't have known it then but now when i look back there was certainly this uh this club five that we were we were one of the five percent that chose to do things differently um, and not stand forward. And so, you know, in hindsight, I, I realized that was a big factor of what kept me into this is that we were doing something unique and something different. And uh, we were proud of the fact that we were outcasts at the time. Um, and that certainly has changed now without question. What it means for me to be a snowboarder is I was part of something that was new. And a lot of people didn't understand. A lot of people hated. Some people still hate it. I don't care. Um, it's what I do. It's what I love. It's what I've done my whole life. And, uh, and I've taught more thousands of people to do what I love to do because I love it so much. And, um, you know, it's, and here I am today, 
a snowboard maker. I'm still a backcountry snowboard guide. I still teach snowboarding. Every every part of my life now is snowboarding year round. When when did you start being a, a backcountry snowboard guide? Uh, so the first year that we opened our gates in 2000, I went through all the, the courses that we were required to do um, with outdoor emergency care and my level three for avalanche rescue, my you know super high end first aid stuff. You name it, we had to do it. So that started for me personally in 2000, and I've been doing it here ever since. And and describe a little bit, what does it mean to be a backcountry snowboard guide? Okay. So it depends, right? Um, uh, And my my occupation as a guide is based around Jackson Hole Mountain Resort. And what that means for Jackson Hole Mountain Resort would be that we are certified and, and, you know, given the opportunity to take customers outside the boundaries of Jackson Hole Mountain Resort into the terrain that we are permitted for. And that, you know, could be Cody Peak or No Name Peak or Ronnie, uh, Jensen Canyon. Uh, well, not actually Jensen anymore, but uh, Rock Springs, um, Pinedale. So there's a whole plethora of terrain out there um, that is un- unpatrolled. Un- uh, there's no avalanche mitigation. There are no signs. There are no rope. And so that's our job as uh, guides for Jackson Mountain Resort to take people out there safely and bring them back. Very nice. Very nice. And do you have a split board as well that you use for going back? Um, I have a split board. Um, but the, the, the nice thing about the Jacksonville backcountry, whether it's Teton Pass, whether it's Jacksonville Mountain Resort, you don't need a split board. Uh, there's a there's a boot pack, virtually a stairway to pretty much any of the big lines that you want to hit. And because of the way the Tetons are, are, uh, have grown, they're really fall line oriented. So you're not having to traverse far. You're not having to go far uh, without having a ridge line to walk on. Um, so it's actually really convenient for backcountry snowboarding without split boards. Uh, that being said, I do have a split board. I don't get to use it as much as I would like because I have, um, you know, I have this in my back door. Uh, yeah. It takes me, <laughs> takes me no time to take a, a beautiful tram to a summit and walk 45 minutes to a peak and snowboard 4,200 feet down to the bottom. And and share with us, where are you right now? So I'm sitting in front of my showroom in Teton Village. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we have uh, the showroom here and inside where we're literally at the, practically at the base of the tram. And we have this for four months. Um, it's run by uh, Teton Village Trail Rides in the summer. And I lease it from them for four months in the winter to have uh, some of my boards on display. We do demos. We do full tunes and just a generally cool snowboard hangout right at the base of the village. Awesome. And you are now a business owner. And Correct. I am very curious what inspired you to start your own business. Okay. So I was doing work for Burton Snowboards and I had flown to Japan to do a week long meetings and training instructors in Japan and a week long in, uh, training, same thing in China. When I got off the plane, the back injury that I was dealing with finally fully gave out and I couldn't even stand up. So I had to endure a week's worth of meetings in Japan while it was snowing tremendously outside, an absolute pain. And uh, one day, the president of Burton, Japan, uh, felt bad for me. So he decided to take me to meet this guy named Taro Tamai. Taro owns a famous snowboard company called Gentem Stick out of Japan. And when I walked into his shop, he made the most beautiful powder board I'd ever seen. Nothing like we'd seen in the United States. Uh, predominantly, I mean, because Japan is 
the world mecca for powder without question. So it very much inspired me. And when I came back, I had surgery and uh, some friends of mine at Igneous Skis and Snowboards in Jackson, I went to high school with said, hey, come on in. Uh, why don't you make a snowboard? Well, you can't snowboard for the rest of the year. Um, so I did. And I said, well, but I wanted to look like this. Uh, I wanted to kind of, you know, be inspired by that Japanese aesthetic. And so they said, hey, knock yourself out. You know, you do it your way. We're going to do it ours. And so I made a board, I made another board and all my clients that I teach and guide started seeing me riding these boards that I had made. And they said, well, I want one of those. And I said, okay, well, I'll make you one. And next thing you know, oh, I want one. Another guy wants one, another guy. And I decided, Hey, this is, this is my next thing. Um, because when I got hurt as a guide, I realized that if I couldn't snowboard, I couldn't make a living. Right. And I realized I can't do this forever. And I've been snowboarding full time for a long time since I was really since I was 17. And I knew that my body was going to give out at some point. And building boards became this kind of creative outlet and this, this very exciting way for me to be involved with snowboarding, but not have to be on one seven days a week. So the guys at Igneous, you know, taught me what they knew. Um, and I decided I wanted to kind of go down a different route, a different uh, aesthetic, a different build based on all my years of guiding and teaching and knowing my customer really well and what they wanted. And so that's when I said, all right, I'm going to break off on my own and uh, do my own thing. And um, and I've had a lot of teachers along the way and a lot of opportunity with Igneous Skis first off and Kelvin Wu at Maiden Skis is where I moved into next. And he taught me how to use the CNC and draw things on the computer because at Igneous, we did everything by hand literally, which was a great way to learn. But now that I've uh, learned how to use the CNC, I will never go back. Those things are magic. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so I moved into Kelvin's place and that's when I actually officially incorporated myself, uh, the business, that same time frame. I started looking for a showroom. I stumbled across what's behind me right now, um, which was an absolute miracle of finding this place. Um, and then it just started to snowball, you know, word started getting out and I started participating in events. And um, now we're, we've built a factory in Victor during COVID. Um, and uh, now we're cranking full time. That's, that's superb, man. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And so let's go back a little bit. What year was that, that you had your back surgery and then you made your first snowboard? Uh, 2010. In fact, that first board I made that year, I couldn't ride it, right? Because I was injured. I couldn't ride that year. And we ended up uh, letting one of our, our good friends ride it. And he took it to Colorado and I never saw it again. So, oh. so actually, I actually never got to ride the first board that I had a hand in making. So then the, that following summer, I made one again. And, uh, but this one, I still have hanging on the wall at my, at my uh, factory. Oh, super. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it's only taken, you know, it's not overnight success. It's, it doesn't, all no. this doesn't happen overnight. So you're able to describe it in a few minutes, but that's 12 years yeah. of where you, yeah. from when you did that first board to where you are now and you stuck with it. What has that journey been like over the past 12 years? Uh, you know, it, it's, it's been both exhausting, but also, um, uh, remarkably like i don't want to say easy because it's not easy but i've had this this absolute fortune of having some incredible people in my life one of obviously is my wife 
um, who supports me 100%. But the guys at Igneous, Mike Paris, and the guys at Maiden, Kelvin Wu, and and the guys at Sago Skis over in Victor, I've had. So I, I'm very lucky in that there are three other people in this town that started making skis and snowboards way before I did. And we're very open with sharing their knowledge um, and their, you know, pitfalls and what not to do. And then my relationship with all my friends at Burton and uh, the people in the industry, it's, so I feel very lucky. Like, I feel like if I was in some other town, this would have been 10 times harder than it is. It's hard. Don't get me wrong. But there were the right people in my life at the right time to help steer me into what I'm doing now. And, you know, knowing that growing slow is a smarter way to do this, not growing fast. What, what do you mean by slow, growing slow versus growing fast? Okay. So, you know, there's, I've seen companies, one in Park City, I forget what they were named, um, who just went from zero to 100 miles an hour overnight, you know, and borrowed a ton of money, built a fancy building, you know, ordered tremendous amount of materials and whatnot before they ever actually had a product, before they ever had a following. So when I saw that happening, I thought, well, that's not the way to do this because now I don't want to be in debt like that, you know, and I want to do this through our own hard work. And we certainly borrowed money and we have some investors as of late, um, but we've done this from, you know, for the first 10 years, just bootstrapping you know, out of our savings and out of working, you know, still teaching snowboarding, still guiding. Uh, my wife uh, pitching in, she's a massage therapist. Um, so we really did it the bootstrap way until we got to the point where we knew we had to grow and we needed, we needed help. But at that point, we had a following and we had a product and we had a known entity that people were confident in and could support us. And, and even then, we still haven't borrowed a ton of money. We're still really creeping our way into this so that, you know, when we feel the time is right, we can pull the trigger and shoot for the stars and people will know who we are and what we're about. We won't mm -hmm. surprise people as some fly by night snowboard brand that, you know, that no one's heard of and they've spent all this money on material and, you know, fancy buildings and whatnot. I mean, we're in a, my showroom is a, is for horseback riding in the summer. I'm in a, I'm in a ranch lot and, uh, we, it's nothing fancy by any means. I mean, um, and that's kind of what we're about. It's that grit and working hard and, and kind of earning our way to, to our position in snowboarding. Mikey, I don't think you've mentioned the name of your company. <laughs> well, it's, it's my last name, Franco Snowshakes. And, and that name came from an inspiration of surfboard making. Um, surfboards, uh, like skis have been around for thousands of years and for a majority of their history have been made by hand, right? They've been shaped and snowboarding. We had maybe a decade where we had that. And then, you know, some smart ski companies took some snowboard brands under their wing and started producing snowboards for them, you know, which really catapulted snowboarding to where it is today, having that technology and um, quality and durability. But it took away some of that heritage that surfing and skiing has had for, like I said, thousands of years. Um, and so for me, that's why the name is not snowboards. It's just no shapes to evoke that shaper mentality, because ultimately it's what we're doing. We're making custom snowboards for people that are snowboarding in Vermont or Jackson Hole or 
Australia or Switzerland, and we're making boards to fit their ability, the conditions they ride in, the terrain they ride in. Um, so we're taking all that information in when we build the board, which is much like a surfer, right? A surfer is making a, a, a surfboard for a specific wave and a specific type of rider. And that's just something you don't get with production boards. Um, there are great production snowboard companies out there for sure. But you just don't get that individual relationship with the customer and the board tailored very specifically to one specific person. And, and that's what we're all about. So you're not making a Dodge here. You're making a Rolls Royce. Yeah. Sometimes I like to say Ferrari. Okay. <laughs> but truth, truth be told, it's, it's somewhere in between, you know? I mean, yeah. that's what I have. I don't know if you can see if it's too dark, but I have some behind me. It might, it might be too dark right now. But Oh, no, I can see them. Yeah. Yeah, I have some Lincolns, I have some Ferraris, you know, you name it, I've got it back there. Okay. And these are all customer boards, boards that I've made for people, and they keep them at our shop. Uh-huh. So they, they'll bring them by, we'll wax them, manage them, and then we put them on a special rack with their name on it. Uh-huh. And then when they come out to ride, they'll come grab it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Quite a personal touch. Yeah, you know, that's everything about this is is that you know, authenticity and personal relationship because there's a 400 snowboard companies out there and we, we want to, we like to think we do it different. And, and so you take how many points of information from an individual do you take to help customize their snowboard? Well, I have a, a survey I send out it's called the writer genome and it's uh, five pages. No kidding. So I've, I've not counted the points, but ultimately what I've, what I did with that rider genome is I've taken everything that I would do on snow with somebody as far as evaluating shoe size, height, weight, ability level, all of those things. Plus, I want to know what scares the hell out of you. I want to know what gets you fired up. What's the worst snowboard you've ever ridden? What's the best snowboard you've ever ridden? What's your favorite place in the world to ride if you could pick one spot? Um, what else do you do? Do you surf? Do you stand up paddleboard? Do you do yoga? Are you a downhill mountain biker? So the, the points are fairly endless because for us, it's about getting inside someone's head, right? Building the snowboard from their head down to their feet, as opposed to what most engineers are going to do at a snowboard company is they're going to build it from their feet up because they don't know who they're making it for, right? So they're making it for the greatest common denominator, right? I don't care what anyone else thinks about this board, but, but you, right? The customer, no one else's opinion matters. If you like it, if it fits you, if you can do with it what you want, then that's all I care about. So we really drill down and get into people's heads, find out who they are and find out why they, they, they love snowboarding so much and what about it that they love. And that really helps define what we put into this board, how, what the flex pattern's like, what the side cut radius is like, um, what the width is, what the, to be honest, what the aesthetics look like too, right? It all matters. And so for us, it's about from the inside of the board all the way to the outside of the board, it needs to be perfect. Oh, I love it. I love it. You you are very I can tell how passionate you are about the industry and and, and what you're making. Um yeah, good because if, if not, I've been doing something wrong for 32 years. <laughs> <laughs> Mikey, we're gonna take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor and then we're gonna come right back. You got it. For residents looking to reduce their household waste and become better recyclers, look no further than the recycle coach app. It is brought to you by Teton County Solid Waste and recycling. You can access this Recycle Coach app from your desktop, your mobile device, or through digital assistance. 
Everybody can get out there and be a better recycler today. Download this coach app at tetoncountywy.gov slash recycle for access. The things we can recycle it in this community really help the environment and reduce what goes into the waste stream. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,954 tons of food waste are disposed in the trash right here in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve our county's goal to reduce waste and recycle more, which will help us aim for zero waste. For more information on Teton County Integrated Solid Waste and Recycling's Curb to Compost Commercial Food Waste Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov recycle and join today. Mikey, welcome back. We're talking about your business, Franco Snow Shapes. Correct. And uh, I, I really appreciate the insight that you gave to how you named it and how it goes back to that ancient culture of surfing and people shape a board. And so you're bringing that to the world of, of snowboarding. You're, you're shaping these boards for people and you're, you're taking time. You, if somebody's completing the genome, the writer genome, they're committed to wanting to have a board made by you for them. Correct. And when somebody is getting one of these boards made, are are any of these going into competition? No. Um, it's funny because people ask me that all the time. Um, uh-huh. We've just started to get some interest in that, but I haven't really focused on that for a very specific reason. Uh, the people that we're building these boards for, particularly the people that I've guided and ride with, they're not worried about, they're not looking at competitions. They're not following pro snowboarders. Like, uh, you know, my customer is anywhere from 35 to 65. So are my age group. We're starting to get some folks that are in their late twenties, early thirties. But the truth is our sports are not cheap. Um, and they're, they're a huge commitment. Um, so that's why you find most of our riders are older riders, but if the lifelong snowboarders, right. That, that are expert snowboarders and ride any of the terrain I ride. So maybe maybe someday we would go down that road, but the cost to outfit a competitive rider and everything that would is involved, two things. One, I think we would probably get too much attention and, and we, we couldn't keep up, right? So I'd rather forego all that attention and focus on very specific customer group so that we can do the best job we can. I mean, right now, this is we're doubling this year. We're, we're going to 100 snowboards this year. And it's it's actually been really hard to keep up. You know, we're we're behind on orders right now. And so we're bringing somebody on June 1st to help. And we've got two other folks who are going to work in the summer with us at the factory. So we're finally in a position where we can hire. Uh, and you can imagine, it's difficult to hire, you know, somebody to be a dishwasher or a busboy. Imagine hiring someone to do something as skilled as making a snowboard. It's actually mm. really difficult. Um, so that being said, we're going to focus on keeping our orders down for now um, and the quality absolute supreme. And that's reflected obviously in our price point and the customers that we're, that we're selling to. 
So that's a long answer to why we don't focus on uh, competitive snowboarding. It, it might, you might think that it's a long answer, but it, it's a well-explained answer. And I respect that so much because you're not going after the dollars. I mean, the dollars are important because you've got to survive. You got to pay your people and you, you want right. to be a thriving company. But to you, you just said you want to keep quality supreme. Yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. I, I, want, I, I want us to be recognized as, like you said, the Rolls Royce or the Ferrari. I, I like Ferrari because it conveys performance, right? Uh-huh. Um, and, and certainly uh, there's some Rolls Royces that are, that are pretty awesome. But, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the niche that we're in. And that, that's the niche that we want to keep forging forward with is that, wow, you know, when you're really ready and you want something that's no one in the world has and it'll ride like nothing in the world, um, then you come to us. I mean, we're at 30 board orders right now for next year. And I'm, I'm probably going to start by the end of August. Just it's we're done for next year. We're going to go next. All boards will be 2024, which has uh-huh. kind of been my dream is to have a, a, a backup so that it, it helps me guarantee my guys have a job. Are, are you making these boards year round or just during the year, summer year, months? Year round. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And and what's the time frame that it takes from the time that somebody completes the rider genome and you know what you have the information about the customer? How sure. long does it take you to shape a board? So it really depends on the ingredients involved, right? We did a board for a guy that had a copper top sheet, which had never been done before. That took me almost two years to get that dialed in, to get the right adhesive uh, and the right treatment to the copper so that it would bond. And, you know, it's one of those things that you're, you know, most engineers and most snowboards or ski, even ski makers would be like, you can't do that. Or why would you do that? And as soon as somebody says that to me, um, that fires me up. <laughs> like, like, all right. I'm going to do it. I will find a way. And sometimes that takes a really long time and you don't always get it right. And so you have to make another one. Um, and so and there's that. And then on the flip side, you know, we have some folks that say, you know what? I have a special friend who's an artist and she, she I want to do a printed top sheet with his or her art on it. And that we do via sublimation art on a nylon top sheet. Assuming the artist gets us the artwork on time, those snowboards actually go fairly quick. Mm-hmm. Um, working time usually is about eh, three to five days if we don't if we have that nylon top sheet, which we we've only done three nylon top sheets this year. The rest are wood veneers or um, uh, carbon fiber, uh, something like that. Um, so so they can be in realist in, in reality fairly quick. But I'm also dealing with artists. I'm dealing with printers. Uh, we're dealing with a lot of people that we don't have in house because we are so small and I make three next year, maybe I'll do three to five printed top sheets a year. It, I, I can't afford to buy the printed top sheet material and the printer because you have to buy most of these companies. I have to buy, you know, four rolls of this top sheet material. Four rolls is 300 meters, you know, per roll. Um, you need one and a half meters per snowboard. That, that gives you an idea of how many snowboards you'd have to make to use up that material. And the material goes bad, right? So I just can't do it. So I have to rely on suppliers to sell me a sheet of this top sheet material and to print it for me. And so then I'm in their queue 
So then you start to go, all right, this is going to take a little bit longer than five days um, mm-hmm. because I'm at the mercy of other people. Uh, and that is the downside of being a really small production company is I've got to rely on other producers. So, you know, and obviously in this day and age, that can be a problem, you know? So what what would take maybe five days from start to finish ends up taking two months because of getting in someone else's queue and having one part of that process that's holding us up. And that so that is what it is. But, you know, the truth is most of our customers understand this. They, they don't want the board overnight. They get it because uh, this isn't the first thing most likely that they've gotten that was custom, whether it's a suit or a dress or a special car or you name it. Uh, so they understand the process and they know that it's going to take a while. So if one of your customers says, how much does it cost for you to make a board for me? Does that mean that they're not your right customer? <laughs> no, not necessarily. No, right. <laughs> um, uh, you know, there, there's, there's frugal people and smart people that do ask <laughs> and that's okay. Um, they just want to know what they're getting themselves into. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly you know, there it's certainly a turnoff for some people, you know, but my conversation with folks that are skeptical about the price is, you know, the first question I ask is how much did you pay for your bicycle? And that, that usually stops them in their tracks because um, they probably spent $6,000 on a bicycle. And the second question is, you know, the answer that I give is, look, we build boards to last a lifetime. Now, the snowboards break down, skis break down. There's no way around that. Um, but when you use the best materials out there, when you use the best epoxy, when you take the time to press the board and prepare it, that board will get you two to 400 days at Jackson Hole. That's insane. You know, a, a, a run-of-the-mill snowboard from a run-of-the-mill company will get you 30 to 60 days, right? So for me, it's like, well, you're, you don't have to buy another board for three years, mm-hmm. uh, and the way most of our boards are, are made, it's with a wood veneer, and then we spray an acrylic enamel uh, that we bake on, and it has um, an anti-scratch and an uh, UV inhibitors and and flex additives. Those snowboards can be refinished. So I literally, I'll have guys drop uh, boards off, you know, in the next two weeks, and say, here you go. I'll get it back next fall. We'll take it, sand it down, you know, redo the artwork if we have to. Uh, put the logo back on, respray it, tune it, and the board's good for another one to two years on the top sheet. Um, so so for us, it's kind of like one of our environmental pieces is we don't want you to buy and throw away a snowboard every year. Mm-hmm. We want you to just hang on to this one and ride it until it is absolutely dead and then hang it on a wall or give it to you know your nephew or your son or grandson or granddaughter or whatever. And, and that's partially why if you look at, again, the board's behind me, there really aren't any graphics on them. We really kind of discourage people from graphics because it makes them timeless. You know, when you go too crazy with art, suddenly it's dated. Like if you look at most snowboards, because snowboard brand A is going to produce this graphic next year, the same board, but it's a totally different graphic. And, oh, I got to have the new one. I got to have the new one. And that's why we don't do that. You know, mm-hmm. we want you to be able to, I've got guys that are riding boards that are six years old right now. Oh, um, really? Yeah. And they're, they're phenomenal. Uh, and we just keep tuning them up and respraying them and, We'll keep them running as long as they want to ride them. Now, you starting your business from organically from the ground up, what are some key points that you've learned along the way that if somebody else is, whether they're here in Jackson or some place else, thinking of starting a, a business that you would like 
them to know that you've learned along the way? Sure. Find a mentor. Number one. Number one. A mentor that has no stake in the game, that is uh, a good enough friend that you trust them, but not too good enough of a friend that they're not going to tell you like it is. Um, you, you don't want you don't want someone telling you everything's going to be great, everything's going to be perfect. But you also, you know, you don't want to be sharing your ideas with someone that you don't trust. Um, and usually, more and more in communities, there are incubators and there's uh, there's programs like in Jacksonville, we have Silicon Couloir which was instrumental in my business because they have a program called the Teams program. Uh, and a Teams program is literally a mentor program. And so I get assigned, you know, five mentors and we meet once a month and I literally create an agenda and I come to them with what my problems are, what my questions are. And those mentors in my group are committed. They cannot invest in my company. This is just a volunteer program. They can't benefit from it. And it's, it's something that was huge for me and because this is my first business. And so when I would have something that came up that was terrifying or looked sketchy or whatever, I just post it as a meeting topic, show up in front of the group and say, Hey, I got this going on. And right away, you got five different people from five different business, five different walks of life, all doing this out of the love of their heart. They're, they're all volunteers and they talked me off the ledge a few times you know and without them i fear i would have made some bad decisions um or decisions based on fear right and they've helped help me see through so i always say you've got to have some sort of mentor program and if you don't have an organized one then find someone that can really guide you and and as one of my mentors says to me i may not always be right and you can always say no to me but here's what i think and and that's been really important because sometimes they give me great advice and sometimes I'm like, uh-uh, my gut is right. I'm going this way. And they'll go, all right, we support you. So, so you're, you're, you can't let go of your intuition and your gut um, and your passion, but you also don't have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to running a business. You can, you can learn a lot from people who've done it time and time again. That's, I've heard that many times uh, about a mentor. That's, uh, I'm glad you shared that. Anything else that you've learned along the way? Um, number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, at all costs, hesitate giving up ownership of your company. And I know sometimes for people, it's 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 impossible to build. You know, you're building you're building a a tech widget, and you need millions and millions and millions of dollars. You're going to have to give up, you know, a chunk of your company. But keep in mind that if you give up more than fifty percent of your company and the board decides that they don't like where you're going, you can get fired from your own company. I've seen it happen. Uh, and I, I've, had, I've had four or five friends go through that, and they've all said, don't do it. Don't give it up. And if you do, keep control until you absolutely cannot, and then make sure that you have an exit strategy if things go south or if, if opinions diverge and, and it's time to move on. Because I've just seen people lose their what they're so passionate about because they were desperate for money um, and didn't have a choice and, and raised more money and gave up, had to give up ownership. And sure, it's fine. I, I'm not opposed to having partners in my company at, uh, when the time comes up. But when I do, it's going to be very calculated so that at the end of the day, if this company decides to close, it's going to be my decision and not someone else's. Mm -hmm. uh, so... So, so I, I say, yeah, I, I get it. You, you might have to, but 
If you don't, then don't do it and be patient, find money in the right places, find angels, uh, friends that say, Hey, we just want to help you. We want to return, but we don't want ownership. That's, that's, I'm lucky. That's what I have right now is investors who are holding my feet to the fire, but they don't want anything to do with owning a snowboard company. They have their own lights and their own businesses. They just want to help me. Um, and that's another thing that I'm very, very lucky to have in my life. And that really came from my guiding and my teaching and all the things I've done to meet these people who are incredibly generous, incredibly knowledgeable and wise and say, yeah, we want to help you and your wife. And what what do you need? And what's it going to look like? And, you know, it's all formal agreements and, and whatnot. Like I'm still indebted to them, um, but they don't want to take my company from me and they don't want to tell me how to run. And so if you can do that, that's the way to go. To have somebody along your side um, oh, man. with that mindset and support is is very, very special. Yeah. Yeah. It's unreal. It's unreal. And, and I every day I, I wake up and go, okay, I can't let these guys down. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so now you have a factory over on the other side of the hill in Victor, yeah, yeah. and you're building snowboards all year round. And yeah. you know, what's your mission? Do you does Franco Snow Shapes have a mission? Um. Well, yeah. Aside from building the you know the finest snowboards on the planet, um, my mission is to change the, the 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 way people look at snowboards because for 30 years snowboards were twin tip snowboards were 100 fo- uh, focused on freestyle riding um and to have people starting to look at the snowboards that they choose that they ride that they can have a quiver that they can ride a board that's perfect for a powder day that you maybe don't ride when it's icy and cold outside that you don't have to make one snowboard work for every possible because the simple truth is nothing in life is a one you know one-stop shop um even cars right it's it's, it's it's not like we're all running around most of us only have one car but that it, with something like a snowboard it's just a small thing having a carving board and a powder board or having a freestyle board and a powder board it's such an enjoyable experience to ride a swallowtail on a two foot powder day, I can't even describe it. Like hmm. you couldn't pay me to ride a twin tip snowboard on a big powder day. No way. No way. Uh, it just doesn't feel the same. It's, it's the flotation, the stability, um, the turn, uh, and, and just to open people's minds that, that there really is a difference. Um, that's one thing. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, I've, our long-term goal is maybe somebody wants to buy us. Somebody wants to, a, a bigger snowboard brand wants to have something that, that they can't do, that we mm-hmm. can. And if that happens, I would be very excited. If it doesn't happen, I really love what I do. So I'm not you know, in any hurry for that to happen necessarily. But someday, I think I'd like to spend more time surfing than snowboarding. <laughs> um, but um, it's a little easier on my body. But uh, that, that, that time is a long way off. Well, I'm glad that you have something else to do other than snowboarding and <laughs> teaching. And, and I, th- I think it's just phenomenal how you have worked so hard to build this business, Franco Snow Shapes, organically from the ground up. And you haven't given up. I'm sure there were many days where you're like, oh, like you said, your mentors, they had to talk you off the cliff sometimes. Because oh, yeah. 
Emo- yeah. We can make decisions based upon emotion versus just really thinking through things at yeah. times. Yeah, and I, and there will be more days like that. You know, there, the the hard, the more successful this is, the harder it's going to get. And I and I know this, you know. Um, and so for me, it's just about surrounding myself with people who are better than I am, um, yeah. and that are just as passionate about it. You know, um, one thing that I have not mentioned. So I'm a lifelong snowboarder, but uh, the, the guy who's my main designer now, Colin Sharman, he's a skier, um, an avid skier. And he's a skier from Boston, worked at a ski factory in Boston. And he's the guy that encouraged me to start making skis too. And, and my wife skied. So I, I've never been anti-ski, even though we were, we were yelled at and spit on and all those things. But I never had a, a passion for it, right? Until I hired Colin. And once we built our own factory, we weren't making snowboards in another guy's ski factory. I suddenly realized, oh my God, there's no conflict of interest. Colin can do whatever he wants. And it's happening. We, we are starting to make skis now. And we're doing that very slowly because I know that, you know, there's still, at least in this community, skiing population outweighs the snowboarding population probably by, I would say, 65% to, um, you know, maybe 35%. Uh, and so if we were to go headlong into skis, we'd get inundated. We would get hammered. So we're doing the same thing with that. We're starting over. We're going slow. And we're growing that side of the business very organically and one customer at a time until um, we can add more workers and um, people that, that kind of know what we're about and can build skis to the level that we want to build them. And we'll grow that side too. Superb. Superb. Mikey, if people want to reach out and connect with you and become even more inspired by your story and information you can share, how can they do that? Um, uh, Mikey at francosnowshapes.com is my email. Um, the website is francosnowshapes, and there's a, a email button there they can reach. Instagram, we're at francosnowshapes. Uh, same with Facebook, at francosnowshapes. So any of those channels works. And uh, yeah, reach out. We'd love to make somebody something super special. Uh, I love it. I, I so appreciate you taking the time to speak with me and inspire me with your story of how you've launched and grown a successful company. I'm, I'm really happy to, to learn from you. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for reaching out. I'm honored. Yeah, uh, indeed. Um, it's, it's nice to be able to have an opportunity to speak with people and get to know them on, get to know them period. If I didn't know them before, but get to know them a little differently as well and connect. And we, I think we all can spend a little bit more time talking and learning what somebody else, who, who that person is about, what's their makeup and sharing yeah. their stories. Well, you know, the best way to do that in Jackson Hall, come out here and we'll share a chairlift. Yeah, that is true. That is true. I was out there this past weekend with my, with my son and he skied the tram for the first time ever. Yeah. And that's yeah. Awesome. It's a major, major accomplishment for, for a little kid, for even an adult to ski it for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. It's, it's a big deal up there. So I was really proud of him. He faced his fear and he was really proud of himself too, which awesome. I was so happy that I got to share that with him. Well done. Yeah. Well, Mikey, I'll let you get back to your day. And again, thank you and enjoy the sunshine and keep enjoying the, the rides while they last for us. All right, man. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. See ya. 
To learn more about Mikey and Franco Snow Shapes, visit the Jackson Hole Connection.com episode number 184. Thank you, everybody who listens and tunes in each week to my wife, Laura, and my boys, Lewis and William, and of course, the marketing director and editor, Michael Morey, who can help you set up your own podcast today. Thank you, everybody, for sharing your time with me. Cheers till next week, and I'll see you right back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.